She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Good morning and welcome Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. How you doing, Doc? I, I'm like excited about our guest today. I am like so absolutely jazzed. And of course, today is a special day, Ellen, right? We have yes. to say what oh it is. Oh my God, I, I love this day. It's International Women's Day. Oh my God, more power to us, all you wonderful women out there. I feel you. I need it. I love that we have this day, don't you think? Oh my gosh, what a great celebration. And you know, let's talk about our guests for a moment, because I've been talking a lot about what happens when you realize your purpose in life. And what is it you don't know about what you don't know about how to move forward and take action? But the other thing is, what do you develop in your heart and what mindset do you develop to enact it? And that's what we're talking to our guests today about, because that's what he's done, hasn't he? Absolutely. I mean, he's had a very illustrious career. First of all, my episode title, and I had said this to you before we aired, the episode title is The Free Lawyer and Success Coach. I mean, what could be better than that, right? Free lawyering and success, okay? Maybe not always synonymous, but in one person, it definitely is. And that is our free lawyer and success coach, Gary Miles. And let me a little bit about Gary, because, you know, when we do the show, it's recovery recharged in every single topic we have over the time that we've been together, which is going on four years now, has always been in some ways recovery related. And this is how Gary is going to bring some things to the table as well, because he comes from that background and he also knows how to help us through our difficult times when we may need a lawyer in recovery. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that as well. But you, Gary's you know something, been, Ellen, sure. let me just mention this to you. Do you know what I got a request for the other day? You can't what? plan this, Gary. You can't <laughs> plan what I'm about to say. I was talking about the channels and we were talking about the addiction channel. And I got an email from one of our people that's an attorney and asked if we were going to create a channel for legal, for legal conversations. And I thought, why not? Why not, Ellen? Why not, Gary? Why not? <laughs> there you go. And Gary has so much social media and he does so much work and he does blog work and art work. So I'm sure he would be very participatory. He's been practicing law for more than decades. He's been a trial lawyer, lawyer, a managing partner, a leader, and an entrepreneur. And he tells us that he loves helping folks solve their problems. He's passionate about showing people how to free themselves from the prisons that entrap them, whether it is financial, emotional, or physical. And 
he, like so many lawyers, understands what it's like to be stressed and overwhelmed in their practice. And Gary provides tangible, practical tools to help clients overcome their obstacles, freeing them to become the person they want to be. That's like, unlike any other lawyer I know, okay? So this is a very special guy. Welcome, Transformation Talk Network listeners. Welcome, Gary Miles. Thank you so much for being here today. Great to have you. Thank you, Ellen. That was really, really kind, and I'm I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Terrific. Gary, start out. Just tell us a little bit about your journey and, and here today. I mean, I know it's 40 years, but give us an idea of how you and recovery go hand in hand. So I, I became a lawyer in 1978, um, working in a small firm. Um, I suffered from alcoholism. I still do. I'm still I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I practiced law for about 12 years or so in active alcoholism um, and then had the amazing gift of being able to enter into recovery. And really that transformed who I am, how I did business and what my entire life is like. Wow. So it's really played a significant role in your life and your profession, you would say? Oh, life-changing. Just a miraculous uh, transformation, really, in many, many ways. Many, many ways. I was so consumed by an irrational fear, excessive and irrational fear, when I was in my active alcoholism. That was so powerful. And I get afraid now and then about things that might be really scary, uh, some health thing, but generally fear is not a part of my life anymore. And it controlled me. Wow. Did it directly relate to your law practice, this amazing, uh, uh, unknowing fear? The fear was related to my law practice, but not just that. Um, so if I had a, a I, I, I'm a trial lawyer, always have been, and trying cases is stressful. And but particularly when you focus on the outcome and am I going to win and lose? And what does that mean? Because usually you focus on what does it mean if I lose? So it's stressful in that sense. But my alcoholism made me fearful of things that weren't scary. The mail coming, um, seeing you come down the street, Ellen, and I know you and I don't really want to talk to you because I'm uncomfortable. So I cross the side, things that made no sense. So it went way beyond, way beyond my trial work. So do you find that you deal with many young attorneys that are first starting out and and building a practice and maybe will be struggling with alcohol and drug addiction because of the pressures of the job? Is that common? Um, you know, I don't know that. So, so I've worked a lot with the Maryland Lawyer Assistance Committee. I chaired it for 20 years in my area. And so we would work with lawyers who were struggling with addiction. I don't know I'm not an expert on alcoholism, although I'm experienced. So I don't know that the stresses cause the alcoholism. Um, but there's a very high percentage, um, disproportionately high percentage of lawyers who struggle with substance abuse. So arguably, there could be a connection between the high stress. I think when people are under stress, they resort to things to relieve the stress, some of which aren't healthy, whether it's drinking, eating, gambling, um, spending money, shopping binges, whatever, things that aren't really healthy for us. So recovery has played a great, strong role in how you react to people and the people that you help. help. What do you think stands out for you? Um, I, I'm much more accepting of everyone. I think everyone has their own life to live and their own journey. 
Um, I used to be into very nicely controlling everyone. I'd want to tell you how you should run your life, Ellen. I want to tell Dr. Pat what's wrong with her and what she should do differently, but I would do it in a very nice way. But now um, you have your life, Ellen, Dr. Pat, you have your life and I have my life and you don't control my life anymore. And I used to be controlled by the opinions of other people, wanting to please other people. Um, and now I choose my own path and it's a good one and it's a healthy one, but I'm not concerned with so much with what other people think of me, which is very, very freeing. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question for both of you and Gary in, in the work that you do and the articles that you post um, on LinkedIn and, and every place else, you talk about true personal freedom. I'd like to know what that means to you. And Dr. Pat, I'd like to know what those words mean to you as well. So Gary, why don't you tell us? Sure. Well, that's really why I started the, the name, The Free Lawyer. Not quite as you suggested that lawyers are free and, right. and provide <laughs> services at no charge. No, really? <laughs> that doesn't really happen? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, that, but that it's my goal to, to become personally free. And, and to yeah. me, that means um, living my life true to my own values and my own goals and my own beliefs, not controlled by society and what it might think or what people in my life might think or by outside circumstances and being able to find happiness and gratitude every day, no matter what the circumstances are around me. That's what true personal freedom means to me. Dr. Pat, how about you? You know, I, I shared this with you before, Ed, Gary, thank you so much for that. I'm totally on the same page with you. I shared my story on many other shows where I walked into the rooms and, um, I could, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the 12 steps. I, I didn't buy it, but I'll tell you what I did buy. I had a great sponsor and he was smart and he had me memorize the promises. And the first promise is we are going to know our new freedom and a new happiness. And the minute I heard that, and I said to him, do you promise? That was the door that I think Gary's talking about. You know, when we talk about a new freedom and a new happiness, and it's not a mistake that they're both in that same line. You know, that out of the gate, out of the first thing that anybody could have picked in those nine step promises, it's we're going to find a new freedom and a new happiness. And I think the three of us sitting here are the example of that. I mean, it's one thing for all of us to talk about it, but we're showing up to show others what's possible, right? Exactly. And it's feeling it. I mean, it's sitting here and knowing there's a contentment and a peace that did not come before. And that's a wonderful thing. And really, you've taken. Go ahead. Sorry. And, and for me, one of the keys is being self-aware. Um, I I was not aware when I was engaging in stinky thinking before. I relished it. I I welcomed it. It was how I live life. And and now, not every day, I'm not feeling personally free. I might be upset about something stupid, but I know that now, and I know how to change that. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. So you've taken. All of that true personal inner freedom. So now explain to listeners what you do and what kind of problems you help your clients solve. Well, I think so many lawyers are under so much and really other professionals. My primary niche is, is attorneys, but really it applies to so many professionals. There's so much stress. Life has gotten so much faster since when I started practicing law with emails and texting. And, and there's so many demands on lawyers, hourly billing, um, demands of clients. Um, some attorneys are very difficult to work with or against, and, and they're just a whole lot of stresses. 
And what happens is people sometimes fixate on those things that cause them stress and resist it. Instead of just understanding that's that's what it is. That's how this is. And, and changing their mindset can really help them to be much more fulfilled, much happier, much more relaxed. Is there a particular problem that you see lawyers face today that you would say would be the number one outstanding situation? Stress and overwhelm um, from having too much to do and feeling like they have not enough time. And I think the thought of not having enough time really makes us victim of how much time there is in a day. We all have 24 hours in a day and we can spend it however we want to spend it. Um, but we get so tied up with, I have 50 hours of work to do and I only have 24 hours a day. And and that, that becomes such a distraction and such a stress builder that makes us much more, not only frustrated and overwhelmed, but inefficient. I understand it, Dr. Pat. I'm sure you know what it's like to have so much to do and so little time to do it, right? Stress and anxiety. I think there's another dimension, though, and I think this is something I've, I've mentioned before, and I want to mention it again. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows that in the world of small businesses, and I would have to assume, Gary, we're talking a law firm that fits in the small business category. Um, in the world of small businesses, given that the conversation that we have moved out of the past three years and things are over. Let me explain to you what's happening in the small business world. On any given day, you really don't know who on your staff will be able to show up. It is a dynamic that uh, when it affects people like attorneys that have caseloads uh, that may have to appear in court, or if you run a network and you've got to run a live show like this, it is an, a level of the unknown that we didn't even know we were going to we were going to have to deal with in the unknown. So everything you just mentioned, Gary, plus now coming out of a level of unpredictability, especially in the legal environment. Um, what is the best news that has ever happened to any of us? Zoom. Zoom is the <laughs> when they allowed Zoom in the courtroom. I think we crossed a major threshold, but all of that put together, it takes its toll. And when, when it takes its toll, you reach for a way to relieve the pain. Isn't that what we're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Gary, how, how, what suggestions do you have for resolving some of this? Um, I think the first is that, that folks need to be self-aware of how they're feeling. They need to know they're not alone. Um, I know my alcoholism, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. Um, and obviously, I, I wasn't. There's a world full of people like me, and I was never alone. And they need to ask for help and be willing to change. So many lawyers feel stuck, like I'm in this place, this is where I have to be. And we have choices. We can choose to be who we want to be and do what we want to do. So be self-aware, be mindful, know you're not alone take a breath and ask for help or support. And those are, of course, very good pieces of advice. And now you see, so 
on TV, we see attorney shows and medical shows. I mean, it's a combination of these things. And I was always drawn to the attorney shows. Okay. I really kind of wanted to be a lawyer, but my life didn't go in that direction. But there are so many young people going into law school and coming out of law school, young attorneys. What advice can you give them, Gary, about maybe what kind of struggles they may be facing in the beginning of their careers that should they should be aware of? I think the first thing is so many younger lawyers go and join a firm or take a certain job because it's the first one was offered or it sounds like the best one. And it's really important that what we choose to do aligns with our values and our beliefs. And it's nice to have a great income. No one, no one objects to that, but it often comes with things that may not appeal to us, may not be what we want, whether that's work-life balance or a certain number of hours worked or a better work community and I think um, lawyers, budding lawyers should really say, what do I want my life to look like 10 years from now? Where do I want to be? What kind of lawyer do I want to be? What kind of family life do I want to have? And then choose that. I think that's the advantage today. And Dr. Pat, you were mentioning how different it is through the COVID-19 situation with how our world has changed yeah. and how we look at work and how we react. And don't you think it's given people enough time to kind of pause pull back and say, what do I really want to do now that I have time to think? Do you find that? I, I think there are two parts to it. I think during COVID, a lot of that happened. I think people had the opportunity. But when the announcement came that COVID was over, and it was a formal announcement in our country anyway, um, that what happened was people did not have time. We went back to a schedule that, first of all, Everything that happened for the past three years was was changed. You're working at home and now you have to come back to your office. Really? My kid's still not. I mean, there's just so many layers to this, Ellen. And, you know, the, the, the issue really is one of perspective and yet reality. From a realistic point of view, there's a dynamic post, let's just call it the post-COVID period that nobody's willing to look at. And when they're not willing to look at it and you're a lawyer or you're a business person or you're at home and you're asking yourself, wow, I could really use some of that PPP funding and it's not there. The pressure of trying to stay up alive, active and motivated and the pressure of that is what we're not really talking about. So what's the outcome? We relieve the pain. Alcohol's alcohol rise was the number one. People always get a little bit worried when I say this. Alcohol was the number one soothing device. That porn and eating. That's and exactly now, right. And now you're supposed to be all of a sudden done and like you walk away from it, Gary, right? You're just like, okay. You don't walk away from increasing your alcohol consumption by 400%. That's yes. not an easy walk. It's not. So for all of the lawyers that are listening today, if they're going through these kinds of struggles and yeah. it is really something that that they have to deal with, Gary, what advice would you give? Well, I, I would say to talk to someone, uh, a professional, could be a therapist or a psychologist, or a recovery uh, coach. Maybe. Or a, a coach or a mentor, <laughs> a, a lawyer. You know, I was blessed to have 
had a whole bunch of coaches during my life. And, and when I one of the transformations I had in my life was going from doing primarily insurance defense litigation to family law. And, and a gentleman was my a lawyer, renowned family lawyer, David Silverberg in, in the Baltimore area, was my uh, mentor. He taught me everything. And having a mentor or someone who's unconditionally supportive of you, knowledgeable, wise, rooting for you, but yet holds you accountable can be such uh, a gift. And sometimes you can find that in your law firm. They often have mentors assigned, but those mentors have a bit of a conflict of interest because they're working for the firm and, and they like you, but they also have certain boundaries with the firm. So find someone outside the firm that you can chat with, who can help coach you through those stresses. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question, Gary? Because this, absolutely, is, Dr. I, this has absolutely been on my radar. We're not talking about it, but you're the expert. Look, family relations for me and, and watching and looking at the clients that I have, the coaching clients I have, I can't even explain what's been going on in families that nobody's really talking about um, to mention divorce. Now you're in family law. Yes. You have got to be seeing this firsthand. Are you? Seeing seeing what specifically, Dr. Pat? The, the breakdown sometimes of the family communication process, the anger, the frustration, oh. where that goes, who it goes to, and not, not a single person having what you said before, being aware. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there really is a lot of breakdown in communication. Um, I see a whole lot of substance abuse contributing to that problem, and it's a very, very difficult there's not a great solution for it. Yeah. I also see, and I'm not an expert, but what appears to be narcissistic behavior happening a lot more. I don't know if it's it's happening more. I'm more aware of it. And, and those relationships are very, very difficult where there's a real power imbalance and lack of communication. And sometimes the parties just distrust each other so much. Someone says something completely reasonable, but the other person takes it the wrong way. And that's what happens when communication breaks down. Well, I certainly want to go into this in depth. I want to talk to, I want you to give some practical advice about what to look for in a good family attorney and really talk about some of the difficult cases because I know, like Dr. Pat, I have many clients that are contemplating divorce because of very difficult alcoholic abusive situations, women and men who want to be able to find out what their law is in that particular state and just get a general idea from, from a lawyer such as yourself, how to proceed if this is something that they want to do. So um, I'm thinking maybe we could take a break now and then come back and do and really focus on the family situation and what it's like to have a good family attorney. Okay. So let's do that now and then come back and stay with us. The success coach and family free lawyer, Gary Miles. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Tune into the life strategy show with your life strategy mentor, Lolita Smith, and say yes to bringing prosperity and success to your future right here and right now. Life is a picture of your mind and Lolita is here to help you imagine it. Say goodbye to the strings of the past that have been holding you back for far too long. Rise up with Lolita and say yes to the solutions, prosperity, and unlimited possibility. 
visit lifestrategymentor.com. That's lifestrategymentor.com. Are you looking for a way to break old habits that are holding you back from reaching your true potential and living the life you deserve? Well, look no further than Dr. Loretta Billups. She is a clinician and a relationship and mental health coach that will assist you with reaching your purpose. She will hold you accountable so that your desires are now a reality. Connect with Dr. B at cultivatingyourlife.com and find your path today. That's cultivatingyourlife.com. Be the creator of your own healthy life with the most unbeatable connected weight loss experience through Impact Remote Academy. You will get a customized six-month program that is fat loss focused with simple to follow step-by-step instructions, Zoom coach support, and access to the Academy website tools and community because weight loss is hard and you deserve the best support. Look no further. Everything you need for weight loss success is accessible through Impact Remote Academy kit and support. This is your healthy journey to permanent weight loss, and we're going to give you the keys to unlock your inner power and optimal health through clean eating and self-love. The No More Rules gals Steph Yost and Camille Barreto are here to help you recognize self-sabotaging patterns and develop healthy lifestyle habits. Explore yourimpactwellness.com for all the details. That's yourimpactwellness.com. And remember to live your life with impact. Do you find that your world is filled with chaos that's always trying to bring you down? What if I told you that your goal should not be to get rid of that chaos, but to harness it and become your higher self with it? I'm Gina Libido, your transformational coach, and I'm here to guide you on your ascension journey and soul awakening. Learn to anchor cosmic Christ light during my one-on-one and group sessions. To find out more, go to soulinspired.org. That's soul-inspired.org. And be in body, in power, and in soul. Tune in to Knowledge Book Radio with host Marge Patasek, the fourth Tuesday each month at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Through many experiences, Marge was led to the Knowledge Book, a gift to humanity in its transition to the golden age that provides truth and answers. She now shares information from the Knowledge Book with you monthly on TransformationTalkRadio.com on Knowledge Book Radio. For more information, visit USA.TheKnowledgeBook.com. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Network listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. You can find me at pushybroadfromthebronx.com. My 800 number, 800-889-1757. Reach out. I'm here to help you. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Pat, and the success coach and free lawyer, Gary Miles. So Gary, first tell us where and how we can find you. Great. So I have my own uh, website, GaryMiles.net. Quite easy to find me there. I'm extremely active on LinkedIn every day uh, under my name, Gary Miles. And they're the two best places to get in touch with me. You can always email me at Gary, G-A-R-Y, at GaryMiles.net. Terrific. Dr. Pat, before the break, you were talking about very important things to us, and we're going to get into it. So we're talking about family law. Would you like to pose a question about that? Yes. I mean, part of what we're talking about is we're coming out of what I consider to be three, and I do call it three years, three of the most tumultuous times we've been in, in terms of families. Now, we all know about 07, 08, and 09, which 
the minute we came out of that, nobody talked about it. Not the government, not the families, nobody. But this is different, Gary. These were people that, for the most part, could not leave their homes, right? Yes. You know, are there exceptions? Yes. But generally speaking, you are there with the entire tribe and the dog and the cats. That is a dynamic that in this country, I don't we think we've experienced. Now, if you go to South America, collectivist culture, that's a party. If you go to Asia, very family. But here, I don't think we've ever been through it. I don't know, Gary, what do you think? No, I think it was very unique as well. And it created some difficult dynamics. When, when there were fractures in the relationship, it sort of highlighted them. Um, the the mo mom and dad were there together. They used to go off to work and they'd come home happy to see each other. And now they're getting on each other's nerves and the kids are screaming and they need to be taught. And yet they have to work at the same time. And it created a lot of additional pressure. And I think when there were struggles or challenges in the relationship, it, it made it worse, made it more difficult. You're absolutely right. And here we are having families that are that want to spend family time together and then realizing that too much family time could be detrimental to their health. And that's exactly what ha what happens. Also, it gives a couple an opportunity either to get closer together or move further apart. And because of COVID, like Dr. Pat said, all of these outside stressors came into play. Did mom and dad lose their job? Were they worried about the disease to begin with? All of the death, death that, that was surrounding their family. I mean, overwhelming stressors that either made you come together as a couple or break you apart. And sometimes turn to mood-altering substances in order to cope. And for my particular clients, this is what's happening. I have divorce cases where people don't know what to do, but they are living with an active alcoholic or an active drug addict, and they're afraid to make a move. So tell me, Gary, what do you think their first step should be? Should they start to talk to an attorney? How does that work? What do you, what do you suggest? Well, I think speaking between the spouses works well too. Um, and that would be my first step before you folks come to me and, and I say, well, you have you ever spoken to your spouse about this? Well, no, we haven't. And I think speaking to the spouse is a good first step. I think the next best step is exploring marital therapy together uh, working with a trained therapist who could maybe expose what the conflicts are and, and see if there's a resolution. And I would say after speaking to the spouse and a therapist, the lawyer would be the third person I contact. That's the order I would put them in at least. Okay, so if it's if it's the third thing on the list, which is absolutely significant, um, right? You talk to your spouse first. You go to couples counseling or therapy second. If none of those things work, or your spouse is not willing to comply, what should one look for in a good family law attorney? You know, it's really that's really a, a great question. I think so many people call and say, "How much is the deposit, and how much is the hourly rate?" And right. I wouldn't say that's insignificant but it's close to insignificant. Uh, the most important thing is, does that lawyer's values, um, are they consistent with yours? Is it the person you feel comfortable in talking with? Because I'm not a therapist, but sometimes I feel like a part therapist because my clients want to share very, and need to share very intimate and personal things with me. They need to be comfortable with me and they need to know my style is what the style that they want. So I think looking for a fit with personality is the most important. 
So then you would be able to go out there and kind of interview different attorneys. Would you suggest that? People don't realize that they don't have to be stuck with the first attorney they talk to you. What do you suggest? It, it didn't used to be that way, but now everyone makes multiple calls. Everyone's too broad. Most people make multiple calls to yeah. different attorneys because people call me. They say, you're the third attorney I've called. And, and folks usually say, I prefer you because you're responsive, you listen, you're empathetic. And, and you're the person I, I want. So people do check out various lawyers and they get a vibe from the lawyer yeah. who, who takes the call and responds. No question at all. Um, and, you know, that vibe, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I've heard people say, well, yeah, they were really busy. They didn't respond to my call. But once I work with them, they'll be different. No, no. Most likely not, because if you're an attorney and you don't respond to a call that will bring in revenue, not quite sure how that changes, but you're absolutely right. You have got to connect with people that you hire. And when you're talking with somebody that you're giving your life to, your livelihood to, you have to trust you. Um, it is so important to make sure that you do connect with them and you can trust them. Isn't that what you're really talking about here, Gary? Absolutely. It's a very, very intimate relationship. Um, the lawyer will know secrets um, about both parties that no one else in the world knows. Yeah. And handling though that information delicately and appropriately, you know, I'm always very, very conscious that my client and the other party will be parents of the same children forever. And, and so it's never, I, I tell my friends, never my approach to attack the other parent unnecessarily. And, and if I am making a point, I'll be making it respectfully because you both have to preserve enough of a co-parenting relationship to, to really be good to your children the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, you're absolutely right, especially about the trust, right? It is our clergy, it is our therapist or coach, it's our doctor, and it's an, our attorney. Those people is where we have to place our trust, and we have to be confident in that. And you're absolutely right. So tell tell me some a little bit more intricate stuff, okay? Sure. I'm deciding that I want to use an attorney because the relationship that I'm in, the marriage that I'm in, let's say just for an example, is filled with active alcoholism. And I'm really upset about it because no matter what, I have begged my partner to go for counseling, to go to recovery and all of these things. And it just doesn't seem to be working. And I've tried the route that you've talked about. I've tried a coach. I've tried a um, uh, to seek counseling, and that doesn't work. What are the things that you could take a particular person if they are dealing with an active alcoholic in terms of setting up for a divorce? Give give us some pointers. Obviously, we all know we have no control over the other party's um, alcoholism, and that's not that's something you you and I and Dr. Pat get, but not everybody gets. Right. So I tell my client, you can't, con if he just wouldn't drink, you can't control that. I do always encourage them to go to a support program like Al-Anon, because I think that really can help them on a personal level in a way the lawyer cannot. Um, and active alcoholism, everything I say will be about Maryland law. 50 states have 50 different laws, but most of the principles are similar. 
alcoholism is not a ground for divorce. So um, the person can get divorced, and that might be the reason they want to get divorced, but the alcoholism is not a ground for divorce. Um, so in Maryland, at least, if they want to get divorced, either he has to move out and you could encourage him to move out. That would be best. Never happens. The active alcoholic, this is my house, this is where I'm going to be. I'm not moving. So it's a terrible choice. She may have to move from her family home and and with or without the children. And I recommend with, although then that creates an issue and create her own separate residence. And that's a financial burden and an emotional burden and very challenging. But Gary, let me ask you a question around that, because you're right about that. However, let's talk about behavior that happens from substance abuse, addiction, and you, because those items, quite a few of them, especially when they cross over what we call the invisible line, those are the items you should be really talking to somebody about, right? You know, Absolutely. They happen. So let's just say to folks, look, they do happen. What do you do? So if, if there's physical abuse, um, striking of someone else, or, and this is Maryland law, but it's probably similar in other states, uh, putting someone in fear yeah. of suffering substantial personal harm, they have a right in Maryland, it's called a protective order. Different states call it different things, but we all know what it is. You go to court and you can get an order and, and have... I'm using him just to be consistent, but it could be either party. Have him removed from the family home because of, of violence or serious threatened violence. Now, calling someone a pig or some other derogatory term doesn't do it. Um, picking up a knife and saying, I could kill you right now, does it. Um, and then you get a protective order and, and, and you can have the home to yourself. The, only, the one trouble with that, and this wouldn't be about either of your clients, is sometimes it can be um, a tactic rather than real. And that's something the courts do look at. Is this real? Because it's a huge, huge issue to remove a person from their home with from their children. It's a huge decision. I understand. So what you're saying is that it has to be more concrete evidence to, in order to, to make this a criterion for mm -hmm. divorce. So how do you suggest somebody that's contemplating it begins to garner that concrete evidence? I mean, I have told my clients that maybe keeping journals or taking notes or maybe even catching some things on films would be uh, productive. Do you agree with that? I, I think journaling is good. I think photographs are good. If there's ever a bruise or a broken a hole in the wall or a broken door, photographs are great. Um, what many people do is record the other party in Maryland. That's a criminal act, recording someone without their consent. And I do know that law differs from one state to another, but there are many states where recording someone without their consent is not lawful. And I, I know it has happened many, many times. And I tell them, dispose of the tape. You told me I'm not telling anyone, yeah. but don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think journaling pictures are, are great steps. Yeah. In, in Maryland, you can get a divorce on the grounds of excessive cruelty, but it's kind of meaningless because there's a 12 month waiting period. And if you move into a separate um, home, there's a 12 month waiting period. 
and having a pending divorce where the issue is adultery or excessive cruelty and living in the same house is terrible. I've had one of those. It was just awful. Yeah. And you, I want to go back to something you said. You have to really look in your state. Now, I do believe the state of Washington is a little bit more lenient, even about recording. You know, once upon a time, you couldn't record a conversation on a phone without telling them. However, you need to look up, you can go to your attorney general, you can go to your website, and you can look at it because I was very, uh, I was very, it, I, I was a little bit stunned and shocked that in some states you don't, you can record a conversation on a phone. But let's just get underneath a little bit more about what you're saying because it is difficult. I had a situation 18 months ago where there was a gun in the house. I live in a state where there are guns everywhere. Uh, you can bring your gun to an AA meeting. But there was a gun in the house and it was locked. And the scenario was the tension you talked about. And one of the partners, doesn't matter if it's male or female, took the locked gun case and would bring it into, his, in, into the room that he, was work, he or she was working in every day. Now, why is that a thing? Well, it's not a thing if everybody agrees that, you know, Sonny is bringing the gun in because Sonny's going to take care of the family just in case. But if it's not that, and you just have had a drag out, drop down, whatever you want to call it, and every day Sonny very subtly goes and gets the gun from the safe, brings it into his or her workroom every day and shuts the door. Now, why am I bringing that up? That's psychological abuse at every level. Can you prove it? Who knows? <laughs> Right, Gary? It's like, can you imagine the conversation in court? I was scared to death. Every day he would go get the gun and bring it in the room. I'm just trying to protect my family. Right. This, I think, is what you're saying. Now, that's an extreme case, but it's a real one. There are other things like that, Gary, aren't there, that are very hard to prove? There are. And, um, you know, one thing I want to get back to, Ellen, when you said what folks should do is be conscious of what they put in texts to their spouse oh. and to other people. Folks have this belief that texts are private. Um, that's just, it's just like, uh, but, it, but they aren't, they aren't. And, and whatever is in a text, you, I always tell people, imagine the judge is reading that and what he would think of it. And that includes letting your strategy go out to your sister in a text or texting something nasty to your spouse. Yes. But there's all kinds of, I kind of don't like the word abuse only because it's ambiguous. Some things are clearly abuse and others aren't. And it depends on your perspective. But it's a he said, she said kind of thing. Yeah. What one person thinks is abuse. Another person, that wasn't what I meant at all. I had my gun there just to protect you. And oh, no, you brought it there as an implicit threat. And a lot of it's determined by the judge. And judges have their own preconceived notions because they're humans, too, who have lived a whole life. So a lot of that is unpredictable. We just went through this in Johnny in the Johnny Depp law case. I mean, anybody that paid attention to anything that was going on with Johnny Depp and Amber, you know, anybody that paid any attention to that got to see all those texts, got to see right. all those messages. And believe it or not, nobody really agreed. If you really for, were for him, you took his side. But can you also mention social media? I, I know you're talking text, but if 
If you're warning people not to text, clearly you're telling people don't use social media, right? It, it is part of our engagement agreement to not use social media. Um, and, and that doesn't mean they can't post pictures of them with their kids, but nothing about the divorce or how they feel, not joining Facebook groups with supportive communities and sharing things that anything that's put in writing can be seen and learned by the other side. Hmm. Ellen, talk yeah. to this because both of you, let's weave the alcohol conversation in because I don't know about you, but how many conversations have you had with people that were in a little bit of a stupor and all of the guidelines, all the rules and all the agreements went out the door. Isn't that a compound effect of being under the influence? Gary, don't you find, well, let's add, let me ask it differently. How, how many times do you find that your family law cases, say one out of five or whatever, out of like five cases center around alcohol or drug abuse by one or both spouses? How many? A, a lot, a lot more than one out of five. I think it's a very common, it's a very common problem. And of course, there are different perspectives on that. She may think he drinks too much and he may think he doesn't but it's often a real issue. And sometimes it's mutual. Sometimes I find my client was sort of hiding from me her use um, uh, that, that he uh, brings to the table. So it's, it's a frequent problem. And there's no easy answer. The divorce laws don't give an answer to that, really. Okay, so what happens when you have someone, and this has happened, and this is piggybacking off of Dr. Pat's question, what happens when you have someone that is that you're dealing with the active alcoholic, and you're working with that person, and that person constantly, you know, you tell them to do things, and they don't get to do them, and they don't, they cancel mediation dates, and they, they just don't show up for things because they're really constantly intoxicated. How do you deal with that? Have you ever I, had that, Gary? I, I, you know, I don't know that I've dealt with that a whole lot in exactly the way you said. I certainly have had clients contact me who either I immediately figure out have a potential substance abuse problem. It's not for me to diagnose, but I encourage them to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I encourage them to go to some meetings. And sometimes I learn more from the other side where it's an obvious issue. Um, and I encourage them to, to do that. If those kinds of things happen that you said, they repeatedly ignore my advice, they cause their own problems, they don't come to mediations, they don't do what I need, I don't represent them anymore. Because it's a situation of we have to work together as a team and be cooperative. I see. But does the law have anything to say about it? If someone is not showing up, you know, like, you know, kind of like a deadbeat dad, if somebody doesn't participate and is not willing to negotiate, is that how divorce cases get dragged on in general? Or or does the law generally do something? What happens in Maryland when that happens? Well, well, there's no obligation to settle a case. So there is uh, mediation in Maryland and they have to come and they usually do. But there's no obligation to agree. And someone could say, you know, I want nine tenths of everything and that's all I want. And that may be very unreasonable, but there's no obligation to come to a settlement. And that's why we have divorce trials. Having said that, I bet less than one out of 50 divorce cases gets actually tried in a contested fashion. They usually do work out ultimately. I see. So what you're saying is it's been your experience that in today's world, most divorces or many divorces, especially when there's not too much to contest, are are handled in mediation as opposed to trial? 
most come to a settlement at some point, either at mediation or a settlement conference before the court or the two lawyers getting together and getting it worked out. It's an exhausting, expensive process. And people grow to accept the reality of it um, and understand that them coming to their own decision is going to be better than some uninformed third party, although a wise judge, uh, making the decision for them. And I want to bring up something that Dr. Pat talked about during the break, and that's children in the mix, right? Let's talk about that. What happens, you know, in the past, old old laws always centered around the kids always go to the mother or the kids are more likely to go to the mother. But this world is changing. The mother's role is a very different one. So could you explain to us a little bit what happens in terms of how it, how it works out with children. What have you seen? What kind of cases have you seen? So in in Maryland, it's come to be my belief, and again, this may be different in Washington or New York, that the courts have a preference for shared custody and close to equal time with both parents. And the party who thinks they should have more than 50% has the burden of proving some good reason why that's better. Um, They also want There's also the concept of what in Maryland we call legal custody has to do with decision making. And in Maryland, they always want that to be joint. These two people who can't get along as husband and wife jointly make the decisions for the children when they're divorced. And and that can be very challenging, too. And the final thing is almost no matter what, they want to make sure that each parent has overnight time with the children, short of some serious abuse or drug abuse, or abuse of the child, something like that. Wow. So if if I have someone that is thinking about getting a divorce and has children, what do you think their first step should be? Uh, talk to a lawyer and and understand what the likelihood is of how much time the other parent will have with the children. And, and what the living circumstance, there are a lot of factors that go into it. Bottom line, it's best interest of the children. That's the only thing that matters. But living circumstances of both parties, who lives there, what their financial situation is, what their drug and alcohol and criminal situation is, and, and the court will make the decision. All those factors go into it. But I think that client should get an understanding of what that looks like, because right now, both parents have the children with them seven nights a week. Are you comfortable in the other parent having them half the time or three nights a week where you're they're out of your control and in his possession? So that can be a difficult, like, whoa, that could really happen. Yes, that could happen. And that's can be scary to uh, say a mother who's been really feels like she's done 90% of the child rearing. And that's a very difficult situation, especially if your partner is an active alcoholic, that becomes difficult to prove because there's no physical ramifications and only mental abuse. And we go through this all the time. Dr. Pat, do you see these situations as well? Yeah, I think what we're talking about is so complex and has so many layers. I mean, that's really the important thing about having Gary on here is because, you know, we're talking, we're giving people a lot of information. But you really need to find uh, an attorney you trust. That is number one for me out of the gate. Uh, Yes, go to therapy. But I always tell people, I'm just saying, 
if this is that serious, start your search for an attorney now. Because when it hits the serious point, then you're going to play catch up. And that's just my advice to people, because it takes some time for people to find someone that they can work with. And it's like Gary said, you know, they'll get to a point of complete despair, desperation, and they will take the first person that says something that sounds pretty okay. Don't put yourself in that situation. Dr. Pat, I complex, right, Gary? Dr. Pat, I could not agree more. The most important thing someone can do is consult an attorney early. So many times I've regretted that they've come to me after they made some decision, like leaving the marital home. I can't stand being uh, with her anymore. I got to get out of here. And then the rights to custody and the home might really have changed. So get get the advice. Know, know what your options are. Know what it looks like. Know how challenging it is. But yeah. get that lawyer up front, someone you feel comfortable with in talking to him or her. Absolutely. If you're thinking about it and you're unhappy, the advice to all of my clients has always been information is power. Find out what your options are. And most importantly, Gary has been saying over and over again, what the laws are governing separation and divorce in your particular state. Every single state has different laws. So Gary, we've got about three minutes left to go here. But first of all, let's remind listeners how to get in contact with you, please. Oh, thank you. Yes. My website is GaryMiles.net. I'm very active on LinkedIn under my name, Gary Miles. People can message me there, connect with me there, or send a message to me at Gary at GaryMiles.net, and I'll be happy to respond. And Gary, just tell us about your podcast. Yes, I have a podcast called The Free Lawyer. It's on all the major platforms. So Monday, I have a solo episode, um, and it's about how to free ourselves from all these prisons that sometimes we put ourselves in and we have our own key to unlock them, whether it's expectations or comparison or um, overwhelm or stress or fear. And then on Thursday, I have a guest episode with someone who who is knowledgeable or has some inspirational story. So I really enjoy doing the podcast. It's a way to spread some healthy information to a community I care about. Yeah. Wonderful. So I know that you've helped it, helped us along this particular episode, but how do you think in general, the public can change their derogatory opinions of attorneys? What's your best advice? Um, I think it's really up to the attorneys. Um, you know, one attorney at a time, living life a different way, um, being empathetic, um, tolerant, patient, accepting, um, And that's the only way. I have a lot of clients who love working with me, send me nice notes. I know I can't control other attorneys, but that's partly my mission in the free lawyer and my my newsletters is lifting and supporting lawyers, but also raising the legal profession as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say one thing along these lines. I have to tell you, and this is kudos I want to give to the attorneys out there. Um, If it wasn't for an attorney that went online and offered to help the rest of us fill out the PPP forms that was so complicated. This guy went out there and got on social media, an attorney, free, helping people across the board fill out the forms. Now, most of us sent him some money. But see, these are gestures like you coming on here, Gary. This is what's going to help us, you know, step forward and understand. We need to trust you, Gary. 
We need to trust you. And we're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much for participating. Gary Miles, his latest article, How Can We Create More Joy and Freedom in Our Work, is something really worth hatching. So please follow Gary Miles on social media. Thank you so much for your time today on Recovery Recharged. Thank you very much, Ellen and Dr. Pat. Thank you so much. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Thank you, Benny. Thank you, everybody out there. Thank you, Ellen, again. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York.